we have a crisis in the world, tremendous crisis, and also crisis in our consciousness, in us. I see the urgency of change, radical revolution, mutation in the mind. I see it. It is necessary. There is complete quietness of the mind, and that which is silent has vast space. Only then that which is nameless comes into being. This is Urgency of Change, the Krishnamurti podcast. The brain has put man on the moon. It has invented terrible things that kill. And also technology has given man great comfort, hygiene and communication. But the brain is limited because at present it is incapable of going inward. Hello and welcome to episode 168 of Urgency of Change. Each episode of the Krishnamurti podcast is compiled from carefully chosen extracts from the archives, representing Krishnamurti's different approaches to many of the fundamental issues and questions we all face in our lives. This week's theme is technology. Upcoming themes are insecurity, selfishness and the brain. This is a podcast from Krishnamurti Foundation Trust based at Brockwood Park in the UK, which is also home to the Krishnamurti Retreat Centre. Situated in the beautiful countryside of the South Downs National Park, the Krishnamurti Centre offers individual and group retreats for those wishing to inquire into themselves in light of Krishnamurti's teachings. Please visit krishnamurticentre.org.uk for more information. You can also find our regular Krishnamurti quotes and videos on Instagram, TikTok and Facebook at Krishnamurti Foundation Trust. If you enjoy the podcast, please leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, which helps our visibility. This week's episode on technology has four sections. This first extract is from Krishnamurti's first talk at Brockwood Park in 1982, titled, Technology is Invading Our Consciousness. Technologically, man has turned his mind towards the perfecting more and more technology, computers, armaments. So technology is moving more and more to the east to the Far East, that is, man has given importance to technology, right? better instruments of war, better communication, better means of killing another human being. and so on. I won't go into all that. We'll probably all know about it. So man has given time, energy, money, his capacities towards that. 
improvement of technology. Please see this, what's happening in the world. So his consciousness has moved towards greater technology, right? He's given his thought, his energy in that direction. So our brains are becoming more and more technologically minded gadgets. Please, we're not saying you shouldn't have that, we are saying that it's inevitable. That's what's happening. And man has given very little time, energy, thought in any other direction. He doesn't say, I am going to find out for myself what I am, why I behave like this, what is beyond all this in my... We haven't given a thought to it. You understand the two? That is, man has given enormous time and energy towards the conquering of environments, which is sky, heaven, and the world. And we have not given that equal energy or time or vitality to inquire within ourselves you know, what we are, why we behave like this. Is there anything ultimate? Is there any existence without cause? Which is the inquiry of something far greater than all technology, all human thought. You see the picture? Technology is invading our whole consciousness. And we are not giving enough energy and time to the other. And if there are few who do, they are submerged by the other. Please see the actuality of all this. I hope this is all clear that we are all talking, we are all understanding each other what we've been saying. One may give energy, time to the inquiry of that which is material and that which is far beyond all material explanations. If there is something eternal, beyond all sorrow, very few of us give time to it. And when we do, Perhaps one or two here and there, then the other world submerges it. 
So, if more, if all of us who are listening here give time, energy to the inquiry of something beyond all this, then we are adding to that consciousness something which is not technological world at all. Are you understand? Am I making this clear? Suppose you give your time, energy, your capacities to real inquiry, not accepting belief and all that childish stuff, but deeply inquiry. Inquiry is different from analysis. Inquiry is to observe and pursue that observation. So when one human being does this, you may add to the whole human consciousness a certain quality to it. And that quality is soon destroyed or submerged or diminished by the other. But if there were thousand people who were concerned with this, not forming a group and all that kind of silly stuff, but actually giving your whole life to this, then you, you are adding to that consciousness, of, to the human consciousness, a quality of something beyond all words, beyond all thought, beyond all conclusions, which is something eternal. You understand? So, if this is clear, then we can ask, what are we to do? Not before, it becomes merely then becomes a superficial activity. If each one of us said to ourselves, because that is an obvious fact, the world is now becoming technologically minded. I don't know if you are aware of all this. Japan is being is becoming the centre of know-how, centre of technology. They have invested, governments and Japanese government is investing billions and billions money to invest in computers. They have already almost conquered the West by their cars, by their watches, by their cameras, by their uh, gramophones, everything. Other Asiatic, far Asiatic countries are pursuing them, are cultivating this. And not in opposition, not as a reaction to that, but man cannot live on technology alone and its products. One has to go 
into something that is immeasurable. So for all of us who listen to all this, give time and energy to this inquiry, then that very inquiry will will answer that question, what am I to do? The second extract is from the first talk in Ojai, 1981, titled Is the crisis one of technology, or is it in ourselves? And the basic question is, if one examines, that the crisis, and perhaps this crisis has always existed in our human being, crisis is in our consciousness. Consciousness is what you think, what you are, not the momentary responses only, but the consciousness of your particular desire, particular longing, particular fulfilment, identification, fears, pleasures, and the sorrow, the pain, the grief, the lack of love and compassion, all the things that thought has put together in the content of consciousness. All that is what we are. Our beliefs, our experiences, our depressions, our immense sense of loneliness and despair, Our longing to be loved, to be encouraged, to be held together. All that is our consciousness, our nationality, our peculiar religion of two thousand years, which is vast propaganda, or five thousand years in the Asiatic world, or three thousand. All that is our consciousness. Whatever thought has put together, both outwardly in the technological world, and what thought has put together psychologically in the inward world, is part of our consciousness. And the crisis is there, not in the 
development of technology, which is overpowering, which is almost destroying the world. The crisis is not in belief, in faith, in some sectarian group. The crisis is not somewhere out there, but it is where you are. The crisis is in your consciousness. And apparently, we don't seem to be able to meet it. With many of us, do recognize the crisis. If we are aware of what is happening globally, if we are sensitive, alert, knowing no scientist, politician, economist, or biologist with their extraordinary experiments that are making. The crisis is in our mind, in our heart. It is our consciousness. And recognizing the crisis Because it's the crisis of everybody, not just yours or mine. It's a global crisis. It's the crisis of humanity. Now we've reached a point where we can totally obliterate each other completely. The atom bomb, the new technology of war, and so on. One wonders if one is aware of all this. Not be only concerned with our own particular little problems, which is part of our crisis too, our particular loneliness, depression, sorrow, pain, pleasure, which is part of this, of our consciousness, but also the global consciousness of man, of a human being. That consciousness is not your consciousness, it's a global consciousness, because everywhere man is suffering. Lonely, despair, terribly uncertain, frightened, utter lack of love, compassion, intelligence. It's a common ground 
upon which all human beings stand together. So this consciousness, with its crisis, is not your consciousness. I hope that's very clear, because you suffer uncertain, frightened, lonely, and all the things that one goes through in relationship is being followed all over the world, whether they live in Russia, China, or in the East, or here. They go through all this. So this consciousness is not mine or yours. This consciousness is global, the part of all human beings. We know, for most of us, It's very difficult to see this, recognize it, and do something about it. Because we all think we are so terribly individual. Because we have identified ourselves with our body, with our reactions, with our nationalities, with our country, with our, you know. So we think we are individuals. Are we? Have you ever asked that question? Not superficially, but basically demanding that question, whether you are actually an individual, which means indivisible. The meaning of that word is indivisible, not broken up, not fragmented, and that is an individual, are we? Or are we the the result of millions and more years of collective experience, collective knowledge, collective belief, and so on. The speaker is not a communist. He's totally a religious person. When he uses the word religion, he means by it not belonging to any religion whatsoever. Christian, Hindu, Buddhist, all the sectarian business. But religion implies, mean, means investigation, skeptically. 
investigating, exploring with doubt, questioning sceptically into what is truth. That is a religion. Not all that nonsense that's going on throughout the world, well established, respectable, and profitable. When we say that you are <coughs> asking this question, whether we are individuals at all, because our brains have evolved through time, accumulating great deal of experience, knowledge, and that brain is it yours? Please ask this question of yourself. Don't please phone me request, identify yourself with it. Then you cannot possibly ask the question. If you say, my brain is mine, then it's finished. All inquiry comes to an end. But if you are inquiring, if you are sensitively aware of the growth, the evolution from the microbe to the present condition, of the human brain is evolved through time, millions and millions of years. Genetically, it's heredity and all the rest of it. This brain is not ours, it's the brain of human beings. And that brain which is so extraordinarily capable. Look what it has done in the field of technology. Look what it has done in the field of nationalities. How it has invented gods, theories, saviors, and so on. I wonder if you are aware of all this. And that brain operates with the instrument of thought. Thought is its instrument. And thought has created the technological world, thought has created nationalities, thought has divided human beings, black, white, purple and all the rest of it. Thought has divided 
the religions, the Christian, the Hindu, the Buddhist, the Islam, and so on, so on, so on, so on. Thought has made this world in which we live, the technological world as well as the psychological world. I want to ask again if one is aware of this fact. Thought has created the marvellous cathedrals, the churches, and also thought has created what is put in them. The rituals, the candles, the prayers, the symbol, the saviour, as they are in India, elsewhere, all over the world. Thought is responsible for war, for Hiroshima, for the present condition of man's confusion, anxiety, uncertainty. So thought is part of this consciousness. Thought has put together the content of that consciousness. This is irrefutable. As we said, please we are not doing any propagation of any particular idea, but we are together, please, together, now, becoming aware sensitively, without any choice and identification, look very closely into the content of our own consciousness, of our own being. From there we act, from there we function, from there is the self created, the me, that's our consciousness. And thought has put it there. When you say you are a Christian, believe in this or that, in the Saviour and so on, Thought has been responsible for it. When you do any form of rituals, as in all religions, these nonsensical rituals which have no meaning, it is the result of thought. You may not like to hear all this. These are facts. Thought is responsible. Thought has not created nature, the tree, the tiger, the heavens, their stars. But the astrophysicist can explore space, which is again the movement of thought.
to to understand the crisis in consciousness, in our very being. One must inquire very closely into the nature of thought, because that's the only instrument we have. We may invent intuition, a hunch, and so on, but it's still the basis of thought. Thought is the basis of all this. I wonder if one, one wonders if one has recognizes this and sees what thought has done. Thought has created the world in which we live, the society in which we live. The society is an abstraction. Society is an abstraction. What is real is relationship between man and man. And the socialists, the communists, the democrats, and so on, are trying to change society, the social structure, all over the world. But they are never concerned with the relationship between man and man, man, woman, and so on, because that relationship makes society, which is again a fact. If your relationship with another is correct, true, has integrity, your society will then be what it totally different. But that society, which is an abstraction, is being changed by machines, not by revolutions, by computers, by the atom bomb, by all the technological inventions that mad thought has brought about. That is changing society, the structure. But human beings remain as they are, selfish, self-centred, completely concerned with their own dignity, with their own vanity, with their own ambition, with their own fulfilment, with their own desires. So in order to understand and bring about a radical change in the crisis, or to respond to that crisis correctly, which means accurately, completely. One must inquire very deeply into the nature of thought. Why thought has become so extraordinarily important in life.
And is there another instrument apart from thought? We're going to go into very careful without any superstition, without any mystification, without any sense of acceptance, having faith, and all that nonsense. We're going to together. Examine what thought is, how it has created this terrible mess and problems and so on. And we are going to inquire also together if thought is not the instrument of the resolution of this crisis, is there another? The third extract is from the first talk in Madras, 1982, titled Can the Brain Go in a Direction Other Than Technological? To examine, one must have a free mind, not an opinionated mind, not a traditional mind. not belonging to any sect, to any order, to any religious group, or to any institution, then one cannot possibly examine closely what is happening in the world outside of us. There are the threats of war, the nuclear or the conventional war, the decline of all religions, there is no moral activity, but Most of us are living superficially, intellectually, never examining, never questioning, doubting all that is going on in the world. And to examine, to probe, To observe requires a very clear mind and heart, a brain that is not held by any tradition, a brain that is already conditioned, a brain that has evolved through millennia. And if we are not aware of the activities of our own brain, our own sensory responses, examination and the observation of what is going on in the world becomes almost impossible.
So please, even for this evening, let's talk together like two human beings, friendly, not imposing any ideas on each other, any dogmatic, argumentative conclusions, but as two friends who have known each other for some time, sitting under a lovely tray in a cool climate, and looking at the world. What is the world? What is that that is happening out there? Who has created it? Why has man become what he is? Thoughtless, careless, indifferent, without any love, brutal, violent. Why have we become like this? You might blame it's our inheritance, my blame on environment, on the culture, on the society. But who has created this society? Each one of us, the past generation after generation, and the present generation is contributing to it. So we have created this world, and there is no escape from that fact. Each one of us has contributed to that chaos, to the mess that's going on, the disorder, the anarchy. So, thought has divided the world into nationalities. And nationalities are one of the causes of war. Nationalities devised by thought in its search for security has divided the British, the French, the Indian, the Muslim, the Pakistan, the Russian, and so on. And thought has created war through this division. And the preparations of war for killing other human beings, 
thought has been responsible for this. In its search to be safe, secure, to find somewhere or other a sense of safety. It begins with the family, community, then a large group and a wider group, hoping thereby to find some kind of safety, protection, security. And so it begins with a small and ends up in nationalities. And all the governments are supporting this crazy system of dividing the people into nationalities, into groups, as the Hindus and the Muslims, the Chinese and the Russians, the Americans, of course, and the British, French, and so on. Then thought has been responsible for the division of religions, the Christian, the Buddhist, the Hindu, the Muslim, and so on. Thought has created the marvellous cathedrals, the great mosques, and the lovely temples, and thought has put in these temples, mosques and churches the things that are invented by thought. The rituals, the dogmas, all the ceremonial vestige, Thought has been responsible, and thought has created the problems of division, the problems that arise through division between the Jew, the Arab, between one group against another group. Thought has been responsible for the extraordinary development of technique, technology. Very few of us know what actually is going on in the technological world, the terrible things they are doing biologically, inventing great instrument of destruction of man, vast, unlimited movement of technology. And thought has organised mass killing in the name of peace, in the name of country, in the name of God, So there is great conflict going on, for which thought is responsible. We presently investigate 
together what is thinking, what is the nature of thought. But first we must examine the activity and the result of thought, thinking. Thought has brought a great hygienic benefit, communication, rapid transport and all that. The brain is infinitely capable, and that capacity, that energy of thought has created this world of technology, with all the problems it involves – social, environmental, And thought also has created havoc in our daily life, in our relationship with each other, between man and woman. So we are saying that thought is responsible for all the misery it has brought about in the world. Please don't deny or accept what the speaker is saying. He is putting that forward for you to examine, to question, to doubt not to accept nor agree, but to look, to examine, to care. Thought has also done great things to humanity. So we must together examine very carefully what is the source of thought, why thought has created such havoc in the world, whether thought can ever have as its companion love, or love is entirely different from the activities of thought. So please, together, without any sense of authority, without any sense of belonging to any group, whether the Marxist, capitalist or democratic, belonging to no 
religion, no sects. totally uncommitted, then only it is possible to examine and to go beyond the present confusion and chaos So please listen, not agree, but listen to find out. We have to be both teacher and the disciple. The word disciple comes, the meaning of that word disciple means he who learns. And also we must be the teachers. The very act of learning gives us the responsibility to teach. So we are going together, learn, not hold on to our old traditions, to our old opinions and conclusions, then that prevents you from learning, not from the speaker, but learning through observation, learning through, through the investigation of the nature of thought and the nature of the brain, not physiological brain, but the activities of a brain that is conditioned. So first of all, we are going to look together why the brain, which is evolved through thousands of years, which it has gone through every kind of experience, pleasurable, painful, and every kind of incident, accident, why that brain has become so limited, not limited in one direction, which is the technological world, it is not limited there at all, it is moving at an extraordinary rapidity. And so in one direction, in the direction of technology, the brain has infinite power. That's obvious. The brain has put man on the moon, which has invented the terrible things to kill human beings, and also it has technologies given man 
great comfort, hygiene and communication and so on. But the brain is limited because it cannot go in any other direction but that direction. That is, it is incapable at present to go inwardly. And if if it can go in one direction with such extraordinary vigour, extraordinary energy that has been put into the technological world, if it can go in the other direction, that is, not in the direction of amusement, entertainment, but in the world of the psyche, psychological world, then that then it has an extraordinary infinite capacity, both outwardly that is technological world and the inward the psychological world. But we have not given that same consideration, the same inquiry, the same doubt, scepticism, questioning, demanding, challenging what we are. It's a way, if you will, we are going to inquire together the whole psychological world. Why, after all these thousands of years, why we live in conflict with each other? Why man has become so uns miserable, unhappy, anxious, uncertain, hypocritical, dishonest, corrupt, suffering a great deal. That's our inner inner world, the world of the psyche, the psychological realm into which very few have investigated deeply, profoundly. And the psychologists, the theoreticians, the analysts, psychotherapists, they have they have not solved all our human problems. They have written vast volumes about it. But we are still what we are. So, how do we investigate into something 
that is your Self, that is your consciousness, your both the unconscious and the conscious, the whole realm of this of the inward activity, which dictates the outer activity. If that inner activity is not in order, then we create a society, as we have done, which is totally disorder. In disorder, that you can, any fool can see this. You cannot create outward order unless there is inward order. We are not going to discuss what is order now. We will, as we go along. But one has to realize this fact that the outward chaos, war, confusion, the brutality, the violence, the hatreds is the result of our own life, our own disorder, the conflict in our own consciousness, the disorder of our daily life, the disorder in our, in our relationship with each other, the perpetual row that goes on between human beings, And can all this misery, confusion, conflict, anxiety and so on, can it ever end? This, is, this question is far more serious than the nuclear war or the neutron war, whatever the war that be, whether it is possible to change radically our, the content of our consciousness. The crisis is there, not in the world. Please understand all this. The crisis is not in the world, not the nuclear war, not the terrible divisions, the brutality that's going on. The crisis is in our consciousness. Crisis is what we are, what we have become. Unless we meet that crisis, that challenge, we are going to perpetuate wars, destruction, 
and there'd be outward chaos. Even the crow agrees. The final extract in this episode is from the seventh talk in Sanan, 1978, titled Technology Stems from Measurement. You can observe that the Grecian revolution, evolution, Grecian culture from Greece, ancient Greece, has swept over the West. I'm not a historian, but you can see it. You can observe it. To them, the intellect mattered enormously. Their theories, their discoveries, their argument, their democracy, you follow? That is, thought was tremendously important for them. That is, thought being measured. Going to you can see. Thought is measure. That is, measure means from here to there. Also, that means comparing, measuring. So, the West has cultivated enormous technology. If you had no measure, there would be no technology. Right? Obvious. And the other side, the holy Asiatic, really began in India. Indians said all measurement, the ancient Hindus, not the modern ones, they're all as crooked as the rest of the world, including the gurus. The ancients have said, measurement is illusion. Consider, see the reason of it. They said, to find the immeasurable, mind must be free of measure. One side, measurement. The other side, non-measurement. Right? To find that which is eternal, which is timeless, which is immeasurable, which is nameless, which is Jehovah, which is God, which Brahman, or all the rest of it, there must be no measure. That means no comparison. They don't say that. I'm, I'm saying, the speaker is saying, no comparison. So, the West laying complete all emphasis on thought, memory, knowledge, experience, and through knowledge ascending more and more and more. And the other said, no measurement. But to find that which is immeasurable, they began to think about it. They began to evolve, growth, you follow? 
practice, do this, don't do that, which is all based on thought. Only hear technology, then on technology. But technology is now conquering India too. So you have this problem. Can the mind be free of all measurement? Measurement is to think in terms of the past or the future. The present being measured by the past, modified by that measurement, and that measurement continuing into the future, which is our life. Measurement. Yesterday I was, today I will, may change, tomorrow it will be something different. So, the movement of meditation is to, to live in daily life without measurement. Which means without the movement of thought, which is measure. The ending of time can only come into being, which is the ending of time as thought, as movement, all that, when you have, when thought has discovered its own limitation, right, and puts it in its right place. Are you following all this? It has been one of our problems of man and woman. She has been always asking whether there is an end to time, stopping of time, not the stopping of time of the science, science fiction, which is, which can imagine all the rest of it, but actually the ending of thought, which is the movement of mirror, which is the movement of time. I don't know if it interests you, not interests, it's a part of life. As we said, the art of listening, the art of seeing, the art of learning, consists in understanding the word art. Art means to put everything in its right place, the actual dictionary meaning of that word. When once you have put when when everything has, has its right place, then the mind is completely at rest. 